So this morning, I want to give a summer solstice talk. Did you notice? <laughs> Actually, the summer solstice is tomorrow at 6.09 p.m. And uh, the time of most light. And I was reflecting on um, the summer solstice, the time of most light, and the qualities of the solstice, and reflecting. And at a certain point, there I was reflecting on the qualities of um, most light and a certain kind of abundance. And at least in our hemisphere right now, it's warmth and sort of a, a clarity and more sunlight and so forth. And I, I was reflecting, and, and, and these... I saw that these actually are the qualities that were mentioned by the Buddha in his model of the factors of uh, light or enlightenment. That these actually are the exact qualities, that there's a kind of um, correspondence between the natural world at this time of most light and our minds and our being at a time of most light. Interesting, isn't it? So I wanted to... uh, I wanted to explore that uh, this morning by talking about um, talking about five qualities uh, that uh, in the Buddha's teaching there are seven factors of awakening or enlightenment, which some of you know. The fact there are qualities of the be- of our being when we are enlightened. There are the qualities of an enlightened being, or we could say ourselves, when we're most enlightened. And there are also qualities that when we practice them, they lead us towards awakening. They're good things to practice, to develop. And the ones I want to talk about um, today are are also the qualities of the solstice. They're a certain kind of stillness, first of all. Secondly, clarity and light, an increase in that. Third, a quality of openness and spaciousness, maybe. Fourth, warmth. And fifth, abundance. And I want to link those to the seven factors of awakening and kind of fit seven into five. Which I'll, uh, and, and I'll talk about those in a moment. And it's, it's interesting also that I, I, I was um, exploring the, the solstice. And it's in, you know, at this time in the Northern Hemisphere, there are a number of different kinds of ceremonies that happen uh, in many countries, uh, particularly influenced by the uh, the uh, the, uh, the Celts. Um, there are bonfires at this time, and it's sometimes in I think in one in Spain, there's a tradition of jumping over bonfires, and if you really jump over the bonfires you will cure certain things. There's that old tradition. There's also a very interesting tradition of uh, people getting married in June at the time of the uh, summer solstice. And I, it actually comes, it's very interesting, it comes from the fact that, uh, it comes from a few things. I mean, part of it's just the fact that it's the period in between planting and harvesting. So there can be a time for resting a little bit and celebrating. 
But it also comes in June because it's the, uh, the May Day is actually the time when the uh, marriage between goddess and god is celebrated, in, uh, at least in Celtic countries. It's uh, May Day or Beltane. And it was thought that it wouldn't be good to have um, a marriage in May because that would be t- too presumptuous. You know, you're, who are you to have, you know, only goddess and god have marriages in May. So wait a, wait a month later. And so, and so that's actually part of the tradition. And interestingly, the, um, the full moon that occurs in, at that time when marriages are most encouraged is called the honeymoon. The, the full moon is called the honeymoon. And when people are first married in June, they're encouraged during the month afterwards to have a lot of food and beverages with a lot of honey. And that's behind the notion of the honeymoon. (laughs) I don't know if you expected to get that information this morning. (laughs) So so it's also interesting that um, I was also reflecting a lot on the parallels between the natural world with most light and our minds and being with most light and energy, which is, and, and I think there are some that, I was thinking that in our practice, the, the times when, we, when there's most light are, we might say, are times of inspiration. Think, think for yourself of when you might have, when you've had your most um, enlightening experience, or when there was most light in your, in your experience, in your being. You might just take a moment now to reflect, just for yourself, you won't have to tell anyone. When was there most light for you? Could be most happiness or an experience of opening to beauty or inspiration or enlightenment. And I think those experiences are really, really important. There are, maybe we might say ourselves at our best, our most um, inspired. And like, much like in the summer, in the time of most light, we raise crops and we often store them for the rest of the year. And they come in handy at times when the, the um, weather is different when there's not, so, not such good conditions. In a similar way, our most beautiful experiences are ones that are really precious because, in a sense, we, uh, they give us uh, resources. In a sense, we store them away, and they, when we're having difficult times, they can be there for us. They can be accessible. We can remember. You know, when we're having a difficult experience or a painful experience, we can remember what was most beautiful or most inspiring. It can be really. It can be quite a resource, so that we don't just go get one-sided with the difficulty. It can give us a sense of confidence. Oh, even though this is happening now, I have had that experience. It's like we store it in the summer or in the time of light, and it's there when we need it in the winter, as it were. Uh, 
And also we can, in a sense, call upon those resources even moment to moment that those experiences of light can build and they can be there for us. And I like to think of our practice really as this uh, balance between the wonderful, the beautiful, the inspiring, the enlightened, what we might call our resources. And then there's part of our practice which is actually going into the difficult experiences. It's seeing, as we were saying before, it's seeing where we have patterns that actually are not so helpful. Patterns which are in our minds, the way our minds work, have been conditioned to work, which are uh, lead to suffering. And a lot of times to really look at those carefully, to investigate them, is kind of to is kind of to go into the muck or the yuck, we might say. Those are Buddhist technical terms. <laughs> and, and it's, but it takes some energy and perspective to really be able to hang out there. Can I hang out with my suffering and not run away? And it's, we need sometimes those resources or the confidence or the sense, this is not all of whom I am. I also have these beautiful sides. That's really, really crucial when we go into difficult experiences, even to, and when we explore them willingly. We have to have that kind of balance. And it's these times of light and the building of the beautiful qualities which helps us to do that. So I wanna, I'll talk about these uh, five qualities I've mentioned and I'll, I'll make the connections with the seven factors of awakening. Uh, The first I want to mention is stillness. And this is uh, literally part of the meaning of the solstice. When you, when you look at the etymology of the word solstice, it's made up of two parts. Sol means sun, and the stis part. <laughs> it's, it, it's related to, uh, this is in Latin. It's related to, to the word which means to stand still. So it's that moment of the solstice is when the sun stands still. It's like it's hovering between the time of increasing light and then the time of decreasing light. And so literally, there's a kind of stillness at the time of the solstice. And I think we can almost feel it now. I mean, it's almost visceral, right? That there's this um, way that <clears throat> almost even though there's tremendous energy and things are growing, there's a, certainly in our culture things are encouraged to have a certain kind of stillness. We take vacations, we just sit around, or if we're privileged to do that, we can. Um, schools aren't in session and so forth. And there's a, there's a way in, in terms of the factors of awakening, stillness is an expression, a certain, it's really a stillness of, of mind, is a quality of awakening. It's a quality of ourselves when we're most awake. There's a beautiful passage that um, was from uh, Achan Cha, who's Jack Kornfield's teacher, who was Jack Kornfield's teacher. He died in the um, early 1990s. And he talks about how stillness is a fruit of our practice and this beautiful fruit. He says, try to be mindful and let things take their natural course. Then your mind will become still in any surroundings like a clear forest pool. All kinds of wonderful rare animals will come to drink at the pool and you will clearly see the nature of all things. 
You will see many strange and wonderful things come and go, but you will be still. This is happiness. So it's quality of stillness, that, and that's partly why we actually sit with some stillness, because it encourages the stillness of mind. And in a way, it's sometimes the mind is really, really still and there's nothing happening. And sometimes there's a lot happening, but with mindfulness, it's as it were, another part of ourselves is still. You know, so we watch things happening, but we have, we're not reactive. There's a certain stillness in the way that we can be still, but all those animals keep coming and going. And so it's this very beautiful quality that is a reflection of an awake being. And it's uh, when we cultivate that stillness, we move in that direction. In the text on the factors of awakening, it gives some suggestions for how to develop stillness. Actually, for all of the uh, factors of awakening, the the most important uh, factor or the most important way to develop them, it's said, is to cultivate wise attention. Basically, really to pay attention. It's and it's universally the case. I was I was thinking I was talking with a good friend yesterday, and she she actually um, her daughter just had a baby, and it's a really joyous time. But there's also a lot of activity. And she was saying how somehow she got brought into some clarity that she just wanted to have a certain stillness and just be present to every moment because it was very precious. And just be present and how so often we are not really in the present. Even if we think we're being mindful, we just have this agenda where we're trying to get to here so we get there, so we get there, so we get there. And part of the practice of stillness is just to come back and say, okay, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere, even if I'm moving, so to speak. And so that's actually recommended as the main way to develop stillness and develop all these factors. It's also recommended, classically, um, not to eat too much stimulating food. (laughs) Just for your information. And to live in a good climate. So we, that, check. (laughs) Got that one. Have a comfortable posture. uh, And also, choose calm and kind friends. Okay, so I'm just saying these so you can develop them. And as you listen to these qualities of the summer solstice and of the awakened mind, you might just think, where am I pretty developed? And where where do I most feel called to develop. And then you can listen for some of the practical ways to do it. So as you listen to that, those five, stillness and clarity and light, openness, warmth, abundance, which of these have I developed some and which do I feel called to develop most right now? It's probably one of them or maybe two of them will speak to you. And, you can, and it's, it's actually an interesting way to practice is to listen to a model like this and say, where do I, where do I feel drawn? You know, and sometimes, actually, in the moment, the model of the factors of awakening is... A, I've practiced with this sometimes, where I'm a little confused, and I say, okay, which of these factors is most in need of coming into the present? So the second quality is that of uh, what I'm calling uh, light and clarity. 
And it's related in the uh, factors of awakening to two of the factors. I should, maybe I'll back up and say that the factors of awakening, which we've talked about some the last few weeks, are seven. First of all, mindfulness, which I'm going to connect with the clarity part. And then there, there are what are called the energizing factors of inquiry and effort and rapture or joy. On the one hand, three of those that energize our practice, and then three that in a way stabilize our practice. And those are tranquility or stillness, which we've just looked at, uh, concentration and equanimity. And so the second um, solstice factor, <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about is clarity uh, and uh, a lot of light. And it's really there in, the, in this quality of mindfulness. Mindfulness is really about the ability to see clearly. And some of you know that this one word for the practice that we do is vipassana, which is literally clear seeing, clarity of seeing. And that's this uh, quality which we continually developed. And in some ways, of these factors, it may be the most primary. It's just to be able to see clearly, to develop this ability in our practice to notice what's happening. And mindfulness is really simple. It's just about, can I notice with clarity what's happening in the present moment? Can I notice with clarity in a direct way, without reactivity, non-judgmentally. It's actually a lot, actually, to be able just to notice. Can I notice my breath in that way? Can I notice a tree? Can I notice my anger? And we're invited to be mindful and to develop clarity about what's happening. We're invited to develop, in that sense, more of the light, more of the clarity. And I think that other factor of inquiry, which we looked at the last few weeks, also is something that brings about more light and clarity. So I wanted to read a poem by um, a British poet named Kathleen Rain, which is about light and bringing more light into our being. This is the end. This is the last part of her poem called To the Sun. Not that light is holy, but that the holy is the light. Only by seeing, by being, we know. Wrapped, breath-stilled, bliss of the heart, no microscope nor telescope can discover the immeasurable, not in the seen, but in the seer. Epiphany, of the commonplace. A hyacinth in a glass it was on my working table before my eyes opened beyond beauty's light, pure living flow. It is I, I knew, I am that flower, that light is I, both seer and sight. Long ago, but forever, for none can unknow, native paradise in every blade of grass, pebble and particle of dust immaculate, It has been so and will be always, I know. No no foulness, violence, ignorance of ours can defile that sacred source. Why should I, one of light's innumerable multitude, I, one of light's innumerable multitude, fear in my unbecoming to be what forever is? 
There's a lot there. So she speaks about each of us as one of light's innumerable multitude, that quality of the light and the clarity. The third quality I want to mention is also this quality of the solstice, a kind of openness, um, a kind of um, spaciousness. Uh, we, we, maybe because the days are longer, things seem more spacious. You know, schools are out, vacation. There's a quality of spaciousness with this time. And I connected that with the enlightenment factor of equanimity. Uh, and equanimity is this balanced ability to be present with, any, uh, with uh, really anything that comes up increasingly without uh, reactivity. One of my favorite poems that expresses this quality of equanimity is a very short haiku. It's not as long as the last one I read, so I'll have to listen, because it's going to be over pretty quickly. (laughs) This is by Basho. It's about equanimity, I believe. Fleas, lice, the horse pissing near my pillow. That's it. (laughs) Should I read it again? (laughs) Fleas, lice, the horse pissing near my pillow. You read us that once before. That's one of my favorites. I'll read it again. (laughs) What's the second word? Lice. Lice. L-I-C-E? Lice. So you get the idea. He's basically camping out. His horse is nearby his pillow. (laughs) But in the poem, he doesn't say... Oh, such a wonderful place. The only thing that went wrong is my horse, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. He didn't say that, right? There was a quality of just accepting what comes into his experience, at least in the poem. We, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Fleas, lice, the horse pissing near my pillow. And it's this quality of equanimity, which is actually a very deep quality in our practice. We cultivate that by being spacious. In our mindfulness, we try to just be attentive to what what is there, to what happens, to what comes in. We try to develop a kind of evenness to be with what is there. And, it's, and we could say that, and we do that really by seeing how we're not equanimous. We do that by seeing, okay, let me just be with my, you know, my thoughts about the person who said those nasty things to me. And I'll sit there and I'll find myself being reactive, but then I keep coming back. Oh, let me just notice. Let me be mindful. Let me be present. And in that, we develop a kind of equanimity, which is actually this very powerful, wonderful, deep quality. And there's a sense in which it's interesting that in our English language, we speak about um, one of the ways that we are spacious is that we take things lightly. You know, or we, take, we're, we have a light touch, we might say. Um, I think some of you may listen to Jennifer Stone on KPFA. Mm. She has this line, which I I don't know if it came from her or someone else, but she says, angels can fly because they take themselves lightly. Mm. And there's this sense of, it suggests maybe humor and spaciousness and a kind of equanimity. It doesn't mean that we're not also very concerned and compassionate. We can misunderstand taking things lightly as being indifferent. But there's a way in which we can actually be deeply compassionate and there can be a lightness to it. Interesting, interesting. I think this is related to that sense of equanimity. 
The fourth quality I want to mention is that of warmth or rapture. You know, that this is in our hemisphere, this is the time of greatest warmth. Uh, and I wanted to relate that to uh, a sense of kindness and joy. You know, in the, and in the factors of awakening, there's this sense, uh, one of the factors is rapture and joy, that we are, as it were, filled by this kind of warm, wonderful glow. Um, a kind of beautiful energy in our bodies and in experience that when there's rapture and joy, and partly it's related to the stilling of the mind, and some of us know when the mind gets still, we look at a tree as if with new eyes. You know, that we, we um, William Blake had the phrase, we cleanse the doors of perception. And just in our very uh, noticing and, and experiencing and being being alive, there can be a kind of joy that's right there, just from ordinary experience. You know, when the mind is quiet and when we're just there. And I'll, I thought of the, uh, the first meditation retreat I ever did. I was a student and I had been studying um, altered states of consciousness, which were supposed to be different from normal states of consciousness. And when I went on meditation, I saw, oh, my gosh, when I'm just quiet and still, there's incredible joy and happiness right there. I don't want to call that altered. I would say civilization is an altered state of consciousness. (laughs) This is ordinary. This is just the mind working as it was meant to work, the mind and the heart and the body. And there's a quality, can be a quality of joy there. Uh, And it's something that that we can um, really develop through, again, I think through attention, uh, just through giving attention, sometimes through bringing ourselves in contact with beauty can evoke that quality of joy. I wanted to read a poem about joy, really about the quality, the sort of the inner quality of joy. This is from the uh, poet and sage Kabir. And the name of the poem is The Guest is Inside. The guest and the guest is the metaphor for the sacred, really. The guest is inside you and also inside me. You know the sprout is hidden inside the seed. We are all struggling. None of us has gone too far. Let your arrogance go and look around inside. The blue sky opens out further and further. The daily sense of failure goes away. The damage I have done to myself fades. A million suns come forward with light when I sit firmly in that world. I hear bells ringing that no one has shaken. Inside love, there is more joy than we can know of. Rain pours down, although the sky is clear of clouds. There are whole rivers of light. The universe is shot through in all parts by a single sort of love. How hard it is to feel that joy in all our four bodies. Those who hope to be reasonable reasonable about this fail. The arrogance of reason has separated us from that love. With the word reason, you were already miles away. How lucky Kabir is that surrounded by all this joy, he sings inside his own little boat. His poems amount to one soul meeting another. These songs are about forgetting, dying, and loss. They rise above both coming in and going out. It's that touching, that that kind of joy inside. And the last quality I want to mention 
I'm thinking about as abundance, as abundance, bounty, the kind of, uh, you know, what we find in the natural world at this time. Everything is just full. The grass is turning, starting to turn brown, but, but a, lot of the, a lot of the growth is still happening. I know my, uh, my gardens are going, is, is going wild mm-hmm. right now. It just loves this warmth, it loves the light, loves the warmth, and it just is expanding, expanding, expanding. Mm-hmm. At a certain point it will stop, but right now that's where it is, it's a kind of abundance. And I connected that in terms of the factors of awakening to energy and maybe also concentration. That in, when, when we're most awakened, there's a great amount of energy. Most awakened beings aren't couch potatoes. Have you noticed? Or even people, people who you might think of as wise, there's a certain amount of energy and it just is present for them. And it's the kind of energy which is doesn't have to be amped up. There's a natural kind of energy which we tap into when we're, when we're most wise, when we're most loving. You know, and maybe it's the fullness. I mean, I was thinking again of one of the times I, mo- I think I first experienced this most fully was when I was um, probably 18 or 19 and a student. And I actually got into my studies as if never before. And I concentrated and I was just with it for four or five hours. And there was no sense of time and the energy of focus was just tremendous. And it said, oh my gosh, it could be like this? You know, wonderful, amazing. You know, and I think we find that when we're doing something that really we love or that it's really compelling. There's that quality of fullness, of abundance, of tremendous, tremendous energy. I think I'll, I'll just close. I could say more about each of these. Each of these could take a whole talk, you know. But I'm trying to just remind us of the solstice. And again, think of what, which of these most appeals to you. But I think I'll um, close with um, one very short line of a poem and then and another poem that's actually pretty short, but a little longer than the really short one, if you follow me. <laughs> And so the really short one is William Blake says that energy is eternal delight. That there's this way that there's just this fullness of energy. And then the last one I want to read is by uh, a poet who died, I think, about a year ago, named, uh, who lived in Berkeley, named uh, Czechlaw Milos, who won, I believe he won the Nobel Prize. Or is it the... Not, is that, is that right? Yeah. Yes, yeah. And this is, this is a poem about that sense of abundance in a very ordinary way, and I'll, I'll close with this. This is called Gift. A day so happy, fog lifted early. I worked in the garden. Hummingbirds were stopping over honeysuckle flowers. There was no thing on earth I wanted to possess. I knew no one worth my envying that person. Whatever evil I had suffered, I forgot. 
to think that once I was the same man did not embarrass me. In my body, I felt no pain. When straightening up, I saw the blue sails, the blue sea, and the sails. That's it. Should I read that one more time? It's called gift. And has that sense of abundance in the ordinary. A day so happy, fog lifted early. I worked in the garden. Hummingbirds were stopping over honeysuckle flowers. There was no thing on earth I wanted to possess. I knew no one worth my envying him. Whatever evil I had suffered, I forgot. To think that I once that once I was the same man did not embarrass me. In my body, I felt no pain. When straightening up, I saw the blue sea and sails. So, happy summer solstice. <laughs> Thank you. We have some time for any discussion or questions. And again, maybe uh, one way to work with this would be to say, which of, those, which of those qualities do I most feel drawn to develop? And how might in the next week, I, how might in the next week might I focus on that and develop it? Do I need more stillness? Am I running around too much? Do I need more of the sense of... Um, clarity? Do I need to develop my mindfulness more? Do I need more of the sense of spaciousness and equanimity? Do I need more sense of warmth and um, kindness and, and, and joy? Do I need more abundance? And you might say all of the above. <laughs> but is there one particularly that calls you? That's, that's really the invitation. So, Maggie, please. From the perspective of the solstice. Straight. Yeah. Um, I've struggled a lot to understand the difference between tranquility and equanimity. Mm. I, 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 they don't feel any different in my body, yeah. which makes me think I don't right. get it. Right. Great. It's a great question. Um, the difference between that sense of stillness or tranquility and equanimity, which in the teaching of the seven factors of awakening are quite distinct. And I think it's um, in the context of meditation, um, stillness can sometimes translated as calm. And it can often mean that there's just not that much happening. It's just quiet. And that's a, a wonderful aid to our practice. And there's a you know, sense as we deepen, there can be a, a quality of stillness with someone. Like I mentioned, it can sometimes be a stillness of the consciousness. Now, equanimity is the focus there is a little more on the sense of, of being balanced with whatever's happening. And really, it's, we, we could say that it's a kind of inner stillness. Maybe, maybe the, qual- the factor of stillness is more the sense of 
a little more external maybe, nothing happening. Equanimity can be, uh, we can be equanimous when things are incredibly chaotic, things happening a lot. And I think I first learned about this when I did a long meditation retreat on the East Coast uh, in Massachusetts. And then I worked in the, um, after I finished my retreat, I worked in the kitchen for three or four days. And there was one day particularly, I remember, when we were serving um, uh, tacos. And, and there were all these condiments and, you know, it was basically a, a meal for about 120 people. And everyone was running around like crazy. But, I, but from the practice, I could say, oh, I'm running around like crazy. I've got to do this, do that, do that. But there's a certain inner equanimity. We, can, we could call that inner, an inner stillness, you know, maybe. But the equanimity doesn't depend on the outer circumstances. It's more the quality of non-reactivity or balance in relation to everything. And the stillness is more, um, you know, the sense of, of calm. So they're, they're related because we could talk about it being, equanimity being more like an inner calm or an inner stillness. But I think the, so you, you got it, right? Got it. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Please. Donald, yeah. uh, could you read that quote that you did about stillness in the beginning? From Ma Chen Cha? I believe yeah. it was. It was about the animals, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Try to be mindful and let things take their natural course. Then your mind will become still in any surroundings, like a clear forest pool. All kinds of wonderful rare animals will come to drink at the pool, and you will clearly see the nature of all things. You will see many strange and wonderful things come and go, but you will be still. This is happiness. Yeah, you're welcome. So in terms of the equanimity, I was thinking, I didn't say so much about how we really develop that just by continuing to be mindful because equanimity is really this evenness and non-reactivity. So we actually, just when we're with the breath and notice something happening and try to be mindful with it, we're developing equanimity. And there was also formal practice, as some of you know. um, We can use phrases like we do with loving kindness and we can use phrases where we just sit there, like the, when I do equanimity as a formal practice, I say, I sit there and say, no matter what I wish for, things are as they are. <laughs> and then I just sit, and usually things that I wish for that are different just make their appearance. And I sit with that, and just sit with it. Then I say it again, no matter what I wish for, things are as they are. Mm. Oh, rats. (laughs) (laughs) And that's how it works. That's how, and you can see, we sit with it. We actually can feel my, I can feel my sadness or can just feel things. And it's, it's, it's actually very intense practice if you you do it for a while. But even just doing that five or ten minutes a day can have a big impact. You know, I'm, uh, I actually, in the last few weeks, I've given that phrase to some people I work with who are going through actually pretty hard times. And they say it's had an amazing impact mm-hmm. just to work with those phrases. And usually it has to be balanced. You know, it's taught also to be in the context of also having that quality of warmth or kindness. So it's because it's, so by itself, that could get a little cool and or cold. So it's important to 
somehow we cultivate equanimity, but we also cultivate warmth. And they're kind of like this beautiful creative tension. I'm really trying to be warm and kind and care, but I'm also trying to be equanimous. You get that interesting tension, right? So it's uh, powerful. So again, I think it's helpful to reflect on how can I develop this or that quality? If I feel drawn to develop stillness, how do I develop, how do I work with that? Or please, yeah. When you know that you want to uh, have the warmth, the joy, the rapture, you feel like you need yeah. that and <coughs> you can't get any further than repeating the phrases and you feel yourself saying, this just isn't working. I'm just mm -hmm. broke. Going. How do you kind of work with that? How to, how to cultivate joy or yeah. that quality? I think first of all, you can ask your, just ask yourself, what would help me be more joyful? You know, I actually had an interesting experience when I was practicing, <clears throat> I was doing a long retreat um, and working with, um, I was in England working with Christina Feldman and Christopher Titmus. And uh, I won't tell the whole, long, it's a little bit of a longer story, but basically I, I wanted to have a little more solitude. And I stopped eating meals with the other retreatants and just brought the food back to my own little room. And it seemed to... Um, it seemed to lead to, um, um, it was like I had crossed some line and I, I started finding myself, my body started getting really heavy and tight and I started feeling nauseous a lot of the time. It was almost like I had crossed some unknown inner line where fear was coming up about, oh, that's too much solitude. That's how I would look at it now. And so I hung out with that. Then I, I remember I had an interview with Christopher and he, he said, Look at the um, seven factors of awakening, and which of those would you, uh, which of those do you need to develop? And I said, not much joy. <laughs> and so he said, well, and how would you develop it? And so for me, it was actually I went around. I, I um, um, first of all, I went back and had my meals with the group. Later, I, w I experimented and went back again. And it's a whole long story connected to this because ultimately. But that's another thing. But, but I basically, it was interesting to really ask that question in the context of a challenging moment. And so for me, uh, joy also came. I just, instead of spending my days sitting and meditating uh, in my room so much, I went out and looked at um, spider webs. And I hung out with nature. And I just did whatever I thought would cultivate joy. And it happened, you know, came back really, really quickly. So I would think there are a lot of different means. You know, beauty is a means. But I think if we each ask ourselves, how can I cultivate joy? We probably can answer that pretty well. I mean, does some other things come to you right now? There are, there are phrases which we can use. There is a formal practice. Uh, gratitude is a great practice. You know, gratitude is a sense of connecting with what we feel joyful about. And we can do gratitude practice, which is really wonderful for anyone who tends to... Um, <coughs> focus on what's wrong with the situation. 
for anyone, and which is probably like what? Anyone? 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 <laughs> anyone do that? It's like 98% or <laughs> maybe 93. Um, and so just to take what I, uh, just to take five minutes at the beginning of a meditation and, and remember the things we're grateful for and do that every day for five minutes, that will actually really shift things. And it's another powerful way to get in touch with joy. So um, anyone else have practices that you do that help with joy? Please. Well, I just wanted to mention that Joan Sarah's teaches an online class. Yeah. Yeah. So many practices and we do bi monthly letters with little things like that. Yeah. Like before bed, think of three things that make you happy and yeah. stuff with your room and you know, have remember something where you felt peaceful and joyful. So yeah. It's been great. You've been doing that, yeah. I think I think you can ch- check out that on the web. Uh, go to I'm noticing myself giving more web references. <laughs> but there it's awakening joy. I think dot something. Yeah. Who? What else? Do, what do other people do to to help with joy? To help cultivate, please. Well, this is very timely and personal. My my partner's elderly mother has been visiting for three weeks mm-hmm. with us from Germany, and she doesn't drive and she doesn't really speak English. Mm-hmm. So it's been stressful mm-hmm. and wonderful, but a lot of energy. And so uh, we've been having a tough time, and what we've done is done appreciations of each other mm-hmm. in the evenings before we go to sleep, mm. no matter how tired we are. And what a difference that I know. is. You know, just three appreciations back mm. and forth. Mm-hmm. It's like, fixes all that stress of the whole day, and you wake up feeling different the next day. It's amazing, yeah. It's, it's astounding. You know? It's a powerful tool. I mean, I've been familiar with that in the context of working with groups, that you know, at work, people are often, again, just focus on the problems, right? And so sometimes in groups where people are working together, just doing a very simple go-around can take 15 minutes where you say what you appreciate about the person next to you if you're sitting in a circle. And you just do a go-around. Everyone talks for one or two minutes. It's like it um, can be way more powerful than, you know, 10 or 15 sessions of therapy. <laughs> it's true. Uh, because it really can cut through and it just taps into something. So, uh, well, we're, we're, at, we're at time now. And what I'm thinking, I, I'm thinking that I, I would like to continue the focus on this. Would you like to continue next time with something on the factors of awakening to go in more depth and connect them with some of these solstice? And that would also give us a chance to... Um, uh, if you feel so so inclined to to take one of just take one quality, and work to cultivate it in the next week, and you may all want to take joy, and then we'll have a, have a nice class next time. <laughs> but uh, just uh, again, I'll mention the ones that we covered here: stillness, and that might be just to say, oh, "I'll commit to doing my regular practice every day," and that might really help with stillness. Clarity and light, again, my maybe by strengthening mindfulness. Openness and spaciousness, something maybe with that equanimity practice we did for cultivating non-reactivity. Warmth or kindness or joy, some of the things we mentioned. And a sense of um, abundance or uh, sense, I I linked it with energy, sort of this sense of things flowing and, and being bountiful. 
a lot of particularly energy, you might say, what helps me be more abundant or energetic? So let's just take a minute or two to, to close, to sit quietly. And I, I invite two reflections, one on whatever was most helpful from the morning, maybe related to the theme and the talk, but maybe something else that happened for you, quite unrelated, which is really important. So to reflect on whatever was most helpful, and then on any intentions that you might have coming out of here, particularly for the next week. So knowing that we practice not just for ourselves, but for others as well, we offer the fruits of the morning, the insights, the learning, the energy. We offer that outward for the benefit and healing of all beings. Thank you very much.